You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, thank you. It's a delight. Can you, you can, well, you know, Allison, you, you, you can work out my strange accent. You got that? You can understand me? Okay, fantastic. But you guys do talk funny, let me say. Let's, if you've got your Bibles there, turn please to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to focus just on the last three verses, but let's read the whole chapter. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that its grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As you look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, eternal. Let's pray. Father, in this life, uh, we so often groan inwardly because life is tough. And following your Savior and our Lord is tough and we so easily lose heart. So I pray today you'll help me to encourage each one of us not to lose heart, but to persevere looking to you and to eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pakistan, next door to India, has played a big part in our lives. Sarah was born and raised there, spent 25 years of her life in Pakistan. I spent 11, which by comparison is like just a tourist, really, 11 years. But it's 11 years. And people say often, Mike, 11 years, you, you must have liked it. Well, <laughs> not a lot. And I say to people sometimes, I don't want to be too pious, sometimes you do things not because you like them, but because it's the right thing to do. And a lot I did not like. Like, for example, putting my two boys, Joel and Nate, into boarding school when they were six years old. I didn't like that a lot. For three months, uh, they, they'd be away, and they'd come home for one weekend in three months, six years old. We'd drive up Friday afternoon uh, in the car to the school, to Murray Christian School. Kids would run out, just so glad to see us. We'd wrap our arms around each other. We'd drive back in the car with the, with the sisters. We'd sing and laugh. Just so good to be together again. Friday night, go down to the bazaar, have some kebabs and tickers, watch a video. Saturday, maybe I guess stay in the campus and again, just, just being, having fun together. It was great. Saturday night, eh, a bit more subdued. Put the boys to bed. Mum, Dad, I don't want to go back tomorrow. You, you, you'll be fine. Sunday morning, very quiet. At lunch, Joel and my lap, Nate on Sarah's. Back in the car, back up the mountain, three-hour drive. No songs this time. No laughter. Outside the car, they'd get, get to the school. Joel raced off to be with his buddies. Nate, at least one time, wrapped his arms around me like a vice. And the boarding parent prized the arms away and said, just go, just go. Once you're gone, he'll be fine. And he was. I was a blubbering mess, but he, he, was, he was fine. And on one trip back, I said to Sarah, honey, this is hard. Hard for them, hard, hard for us. Sarah spent 11 of her 12 years, school years, at Murray Christian School. I, I taught there. It was been her life. Sarah's wise. She said, yes, it's hard. But hard isn't always bad. Do you get that? 11 years in Pakistan. I didn't like it much. 
It was the making of me as a Christian. Now, let me just say quickly, it didn't scar my kids for life. I just want to hasten to add that. You met some of my daughter, Pippa, who now works in a school like that in Germany, MK School. Joel and Nate both went back to schools like that to teach. and So they've done great, so they weren't scarred. But it was hard. Uh, Pastor Jeff said it's getting hard now to be a believer in your country and mine. It's getting harder, isn't it? As the world turns against us. In my state of Victoria, there's now a law in my state, came in in February. If someone comes to me who's same-sex attracted, says, Mike, I want to change, pray for me, and I do that, I can go to jail for 10 years for praying to someone who wants prayer to help deal with their same-sex attraction. Ten, year, ten years in jail. That's, that's how our world is changing in my country. It's getting hard to be a faithful believer. But as Jeff said, it's always been hard. You know, you've heard the name John Bunyan. Some of you have, I guess, John Bunyan. Uh, a Puritan pastor in England in the 1600s. In a Christian country. King Charles II, a Christian king, so-called, an Anglican king. For a time when thousands of pastors were kicked out of their pulpits, they were imprisoned and they were executed, hundreds of them. Like Bunyan, who spent 12 years in prison. 12 years away from his wife and four kids, including his daughter Mary, his oldest, who was blind. Bunyan wrote this. The parting of my wife and poor children have often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. Especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. Oh, the thought of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. Isn't that heart rendering? <laughs> Like the pulling of the flesh from my bones. What was his crime? He preached the gospel. That was his crime. Twelve years. But while there in prison, he began to write a book. Can you guess its name? Bet you can. What's the book he wrote? He wrote, he wrote 60. What's his famous one? The Pilgrim's Progress. Begun in prison. As he said about this book, it's the widest circulating piece of literature in the history of the human race outside the Bible. Never out of print. In over 200 languages, it's blessed and saved thousands, and it began in prison. Hard isn't always bad. I want to think with you this morning about those three verses at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Paul's sufferings and his reflection upon them. Now, you're preaching through Corinthians, I think, in the morning. 1 Corinthians, it's a, not a great church. I think no church gave Paul more sleepless nights than, one, than Corinthians. It's just an awful church in many ways. Just a catalogue of problems. It's, it's, it's like going to the doctor after a checkup and you go back for the results. And, and the doctor says, I've got some bad news for you. You have cataracts in both eyes and you're going blind. You need a triple bypass. You've had a stroke. 
On your trip to Africa, you've come back with malaria, dysentery, and yellow fever. And your COVID test is back and you're positive. Hey, but the good news is your hearing is great. That's Corinth, isn't it? That's Corinth. Terrible dissension and fights. Gross immorality. At the Lord's Supper, people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and stuffing themselves. That's why some have fallen sick and some have died, he said. Some have died. When was the last time people outbreak of death in your church because of sin? They're dying. They're denying the resurrection. And more than that, they're making Paul's life a misery. The man who began the church, they've turned against it. Fury 2 Corinthians, pain and sorrow drips from almost every page. The letter written in tears. Just, just see how it begins. His opening words. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of the world. No. The saviour of people. No. The judge of the living and the dead. No. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. From the word go, this is a letter where Paul wears his heart on his sleeve. And waste no time. Verse 5. We share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 8. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. So when Paul writes about light momentary afflictions <laughs> at the time, they weren't very light or momentary. As maybe yours aren't. But let me say, yours are no less intense than Paul's. He found his sufferings spiritually, mentally, physically excruciating. And on top of that, the church he planted and loved had turned, not all of them, but turned against him. Bad enough when unbelievers put the boot in, but when the, when the believer maligns you, how, how tough is that? What he say, verse 12? We conducted ourselves with integrity and godly sincerity. 2, verse 17, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. 4, 2, we didn't use deception or distort God's word. So you hear what they're saying? He's a phony. He did it for the money. You can't believe a word he says. Says one thing, does another. He got no integrity. That's the thing about Paul. So he comes back to his opening point. He lists his sufferings. Hard-pressed, crushed, perplexed, persecuted, but not struck down or destroyed. I don't lose heart. I was in Malaysia a few years ago. I met the lovely missionary lady, been there 40 years, faithful. The church she goes to does not feed her. She's finding it hard to read her Bible and pray. 
and see little fruit for years. She's losing heart. I met a guy a while ago at a convention, and before I spoke, he said to me, I haven't heard a talk in years that's inspired me. Please, Mike. He's losing heart. We were the couple in Tennessee recently. One's passionate, full-time disciples. Haven't been to church in two years. The fire has died down. And they've lost heart. I hope you don't lose heart. And here's three reasons why. Though, for, so. Though, for, so. Verse 16. Though outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed. I'm a jar of clay. I shatter easily. I'm not a saucepan of stainless steel. I break easily. I'm wasting away outwardly. Now, as I look around you this morning, for some, I know, I don't need to persuade you, but outwardly, you're wasting away. And you can play the games. You can... You can dye your hair, powder your face. You can change your clothing style. You can dress young. That's what I do. I dress to look young. My wife says to me, she hates what she calls these, these old man trousers. You wear these old, they make you look old, but honey, I am old, but you don't have to dress that way. Dress young, she says. Yeah. My wife has declared a jihad on my eyebrows. You know, they get old. They, they, I mean, they go feral. Don't they? Eyebrows. They go feral. For Christmas two years ago, she bought me for Christmas this eyebrow shaver. I mean, not, not James Taylor's Greatest Hits or, you know, Jack Reacher book or even a pair of socks. She got me eyebrow remover. And the scary thing is, not just the eyebrows, the, 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 the nose, the ears, my face would be like a, a, my head, like the backyard bush, hair everywhere. It's going to happen. You laugh. It's going to happen, pal. It's going to happen. <laughs> Wasting away. So you, you can do You can pop your multivitamins. You can go to the gym, wear your Fitbit, walk around, walk around drinking your water. You can do all that. But you're going to waste away. A friend of mine says, eat fit. Sorry, eat well. Keep fit, die anyway. That's his philosophy. <laughs> outwardly wasting away, but inwardly being renewed every day. Do you know the book by Oscar Wilde, The Portrait of Dorian Gray? It's a, it's a, I was in Barnes and Nobles last week. I saw it there on the shelf. The portrait of Dorian Gray. It's about a guy called Dorian Gray. He has his, his portrait painted. He's a young man. He sees this painting of this young, healthy man. The painting will never age. He will age. He'll grow old and wither. But the painting said the same. He says, I'll, I'll give my soul to switch that. I might say young and healthy, 
and the painting grow old and wither. That's what happens. The painting grows old and hideous, fed by his corrupt heart, becomes more and more loathsome. It becomes so ugly, he hides it away in a cupboard. So you see on the veneer of a young man, pure and handsome, the real man, but hidden away, corrupt and decaying. You and I are Dorian Gray in reverse. Outwardly wasting away, looking less and less handsome, but inwardly, by God, being renewed every day into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are like a painting God's hidden away for that last day when he'll show you and I before all creation seen, transformed into Christ's likeness. And here's the thing. He's making that painting with the paintbrush of life. And the oils or watercolors are the light, momentary afflictions. God spent 11 years painting me in Pakistan and changing me as he is you through these trials and sufferings. That's why in recent years I've changed my prayers. I pray a lot for other people. I pray for their salvation. If they're sick, I pray for their healing. If they're unemployed, I pray for I pray for other people. I didn't pray for myself enough. And in particular, my inner change and renewal. Here's a prayer I pray for myself regularly. Help me to die to sin and live to righteousness every day. Rid me of my petty idolatries and help me to repent of them. Alert me to sins, deceitfulness, and especially to the deep sins in my life that are currently invisible to me, and help me to repent of them and change the way I live. Help me to be patient when others need it, not just when it suits me. Help me to know your sufficient grace and your power made perfect in my weakness. Help me to be content in you and your providential care when you give and when you take away. Help me to count every trial and temptation as joy and as a chance to grow in endurance and maturity. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Amen. Though outwardly wasting away, inwardly by God being renewed daily. Four, these light momentary afflictions are working in us an eternal weight of glory. See the contrast? Light against heavy. Affliction against glory. A moment against forever. 
not easy to stand there and say to you about your trials. They're light and momentary. That sounds almost like making light of them, trivial of them. Paul could say that. Here's a woman. Let's call her Margie. Living with a man who for 25 years her husband who's not told her he loves her or shown it in 25 years. They're not married, they just exist together. But she stuck with him because she made a promise. There's Alan, who's been in depression for 15 years and not known a day of joy. But still trust God. There's Beth with three daughters. One lives with her boyfriend. One's a militant atheist. One's come out as gay. And she cries herself to sleep every night. But still loves God and serves in her church. There's Sue Wing from a Buddhist family who'd been told by her parents that she's no longer their daughter because she won't worship the ancestors and can't come to her brother's wedding in Singapore because she's brought shame on her family. But she still loves them and prays for them. Light, momentary afflictions. They weren't light for Paul, let me show you. Stoned, battered, naked, hungry, thirsty, shipwrecked. They were not light or momentary, hard. He can say that. Sarah can say that. Putting her kids in boarding school. Living in a culture where every time you leave the house, men undress you with their stares. Having a brother kidnapped in Afghanistan and giving up for dead for six months. She can call them light and momentary. She's been through it. She's earned that right. I don't know a woman who loves God more than Sarah does and has a deeper longing for heaven. What's a husband who doesn't love you compared to forever with a father who does? What's 15 years of sadness compared to an eternity of joy? What's three kids who break your heart compared to millions of family who fill you with joy? What's being excluded from an earthly wedding table compared to being part of the heavenly wedding feast of the Lamb? And here's the thing, again. It's these afflictions that are working in us the eternal weight of glory. They're making you who you are. By God, these trials. Though, for, so. We look not to what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is passing, what's unseen is forever. Our uh, ABC had a survey recently 
called Australia Talks, a survey of opinion and behavior, which you could fill in. I did the survey. Lots of questions about things like, what's your view on climate change, or spanking children, or how'd you vote? One question was, how important is God to you? Four choices. Not at all. A bit. Fairly important. Very important. I tick, surprise, surprise, very important. I heard later that my response was different from 98% of the population. 98%. For me, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? That God's more important than man and woman? Forever more important than today? Christ more important than people? Salvation more than judgment? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? We look to what is seen, not to what is seen, what is unseen. Surely we do. You've had your graduations. Uh, I went uh, some years ago, when my kids were in, in, we called it prim in elementary school, primary school. It was December, it was their last day of school, and we called it speech day. And the teacher gave a speech I've never forgotten. There were my three kids, Nate 10, Pippa, uh, I think Pippa, Nate 12, Pippa 10, uh, Lauren 6. And she said to the kid in her speech, now, I want you to imagine, she said, you're on a train journey. And she described this journey on this train. As you go through these fields, with a, this wonderful green field, a, bit, a, lot, a lot like North Carolina. Beautiful green fields, forests, flowers swaying in the breeze, cows grazing, just a lovely scene of peace and quiet in the fields. Then the train climbs these Huge mountains, you see these glaciers and the mountain peaks and the skiers down the slopes. It's just breathtaking mountains. Then you leave the mountains and go beside this stream with aqua blue water, crystal clear. You see the fish there, the water skiers. It's just so beautiful, the green fields, mountain peaks, blue stream. What a journey. But all the while, she said, you can't wait to get to the station. You want to get to your destination, to the journey's end, or, or looking at the journey's end, she said. Boys and girls, I want to say this morning to you, there is no station. There's no destination. There's no end. Of the, there's just the journey. If you can't wait to finish grade school and go to high school, Leave high school, go to college, and get a job, get married, then retire, all the time waiting, longing for the destination. And there isn't one. There's just the journey. So she said, here's her advice for living. Take off your shoes and run barefoot. I must say, I found that enormously helpful for my day-to-day -day living. Slurp an ice cream. She said, smile more. For goodness sake, cry less. Most folk go through life, she said, with regrets from the past and fears for the future when they need to realize there is no future. There's just the now. She didn't say, eat, drink, and be merry, but to worry die. But that was her philosophy. I disagree with almost all she said. 
What world is she living in? Doesn't she talk to people? Doesn't she have friends and neighbours? Life is green fields, snow-capped peaks and clear blue water. You've got to be joking. Talk to people. Life is tough. Life is broken hearts, betrayal, cancers, COVIDs, pandemics, loss of jobs, stress. And that, that's life, lady. It's not green fields. It's marshes, swamps, and wilderness for most people. That's all you see. Really. And in the end, oblivion. And to told my three kids... There's no future. There's no hope. There's no glory. No. Look to the station. Look to the journey's end. To what's unseen. For that's lasting. Time's up. I have a friend in Australia, Sarah mid-30s, had depression, and I mean suicidal depression, for around 20 years, often on family watch. Right now, she's doing it tough. 20 years. She wrote to friends a letter a little while ago. Let me close with part of it. My biggest need in life isn't for my depression to be taken away or healed. My biggest need is for my God, my Jesus, and the love and forgiveness he freely gives so I can be with him forever. It stuns me that he's met all of my biggest and deepest and eternal needs. I may never be without depression in this life, but I'll never be without Jesus in this life and the next. I might hardly ever feel hope or joy in this life, but nonetheless, I have them, true and certain. The sure hope that I'll be with my beloved Jesus forever is a truth beyond emotion. What a God. End of quote. Isn't that stunning? So, beloved, though outwardly you are wasting away, Inwardly, in your inner spirit, God is making you new every day. For these afflictions, which are just really light and momentary, are working in you a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So as you go from here, don't look at what's seen. That's passing. But what's unseen, that will last forever.
Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.